Well, welcome back to the uh, Powell Butte Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Once again, this is Trey. I'm the uh, lead pastor here at Powell Butte Christian Church in beautiful Central Oregon. I'm uh, actually coming off of COVID. Uh, I'm very grateful for having elders at our church that are able to um, uh, pinch hit for me on a Sunday morning. So if you were um, tuning in to hear the next uh, part of Luke and and, uh, another of our parables that we're going to be looking at this summer, uh, you probably uh, did not hear that. You probably heard Larry uh, Andrews, one of our elders, bring a great sermon from 1 Peter chapter 1 about holiness. Um, I'm grateful uh, that um, if I do have to sit out uh, for a week because of illness or whatever, that I've got some people here um, in our youth pastor and in our elders who can easily step up to the plate. So I'm grateful for that. Well, we're back to Luke, and we are actually looking at some of the um, some of the bigger parables that we read of in, in uh, Luke in this uh, four or five week period here. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And today, we're looking at a parable that was called, or has been known as, the rich fool. Now, have you ever heard the expression, a fool and his money are soon parted? Uh, Now, I don't know where that saying came from, but what it means is that either because it's easy to swindle somebody who is foolish, not wise, or uh, if it means that those without a lot of wisdom, uh, they don't see the value of saving money. And so as soon as they get money, they just spend it. And so a fool and his money are soon parted. Either way. Uh, we we find out that uh, to understand finances, to understand the principle of good stewardship of finances, that takes that takes wisdom. Not everybody was uh, trained, or, or did they they grew up uh, in a family where they were taught about this? And so sometimes we just kind of let life dictate how we spend our money, or how we save our money, or whatnot. And uh, you know, if you're not wise, uh, you know, your the fool and his money can soon be parted. So yeah, we're talking about money today, and I get it. I get it. People just kind of shut down when they hear this from churches because, well, we don't have a great track record. Churches throughout history, at times we've shot ourselves in the foot uh, due to corrupt leadership, uh, greedy pastors, uh, leaders. Uh, People are wary then when a preacher starts to talk about money because uh, we all know of certain preachers out there, high-profile preachers, who they've abused the trust of their congregation. They've manipulated people just to get money out of them. Now, that's not a new thing, or is it just an American thing, by the way? Uh, the story that you probably heard from the gospel accounts about the widow who uh, put her last two copper coins into the treasury there at the temple, when Jesus comments uh, about her actions— you need to know this. He was not so much commending her for her generosity. A lot of people miss that. And they they talk about how generous she was that she gave her very last two copper coins. I don't think Jesus was um, commending that as much as he was condemning a system, a religious system that actually should have been taking care of her, but instead they were using her. They were charging her this temple tax as she would come to worship the Lord, and and they would take the last two copper coins from her so that she could worship the Lord. Jesus is not commending her as much as he's condemning that religious system. See, there's been abuse uh, by religious people for millennia. And yet, 
just because that is the case doesn't mean that you can't talk about it, right? You, you can't avoid the fact that the Bible speaks a lot about finances and stewardship of resources. But if you actually do some searching in the Bible uh, and you look at how God has treated finances and, and what he's taught his people about, you'll find that the Bible isn't so much saying, hey, give me all your money, as much as it's giving us wisdom on how to deal with the resources that we have. Yeah, yeah, it's it includes passages about being generous with what we've been given, but it's also talking about the wise use of our money, uh, giving us a, a better perspective on what God uh, has given to us and how we're supposed to use that uh, and how we're to invest it, okay? So there's a lot of wisdom, actually. It's not just about give me your money. It's like, no, I, I want to teach you about how to use this tool for the best good that you can. It's interesting how we've come to view money and finances and resources and stuff in a in an interesting light, especially when it comes uh, to how we become obsessed with it. George Carlin, the uh, comedian, once had an amazing insight about stuff. He says, that's all you need in life, a little place for your stuff. That's all your house is, he says, a place to keep your stuff. If you didn't have so much stuff, you wouldn't need a house. You could just walk around all the time. A house, he says, is just a pile of stuff with a cover on it. You can see that when you're taking on, you can see that when you're taking off in an airplane. You look down, you see everybody's got a little pile of stuff, all the little piles of stuff. And when you leave your house, you got to lock it up. Wouldn't want somebody to come by and take some of your stuff. They always take the good stuff. They never bother with the garbage you're saving. All they want is the shiny stuff. So that's what your house is, a place to keep your stuff while you go out and get, yes, more stuff. And sometimes you got to move, got to get a bigger house. Why? Because you don't have any room for your stuff anymore. It's, it's a great insight, great routine that he's got. It, to me, it's very telling that in the midst of Luke chapter 12, and so if you have your Bible, you'll want to grab that and turn to Luke chapter 12. Uh, it begins with Jesus giving warnings about the hypocrisy of the rulers of the people. And, and Jesus goes on to talk about acknowledging uh, his lordship and, and being forgiven. In the midst of all of that deep spiritual discovery, there's a guy who out of the blue uh, brings up money. Okay. Uh, in, in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, uh, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, you've got to understand that's coming from left field. That's not what Jesus was talking about. And yet, in that question, Jesus perceives what's behind the question, the heart behind the question. So he responds to the man by asking his own question, as he loves to do. In verse 14, Jesus replied, Man, who appointed a judge or an arbiter between you? Now, when you read that in the English, it's it's hard to tell that... Um, uh, that he's talking to both brothers. See, in English, you could be singular, could be plural. When I say, hey, you, uh, you don't know if I'm speaking to one person for, or, or, or a group of people, right? You know, Now, down in the south of uh, America, the southern states, they, they got it. That There's a difference. You know, They'll say, hey, y'all, hey, y'all. Now, if they say y'all, I have learned that that's just as one person. Y'all, what y'all doing today? Well, that's uh, asking one person, what are you doing today? Now, if you want to 
use the plural of y'all, you all, y'all, it's all y'all. So if now you walk into a room and say, hey, what are y'all, what are, are all y'all doing today? What are you, all y'all doing today? That means now that's a plural. So in the Southern talk, you, you can see if it's plural or singular, but in regular English, you, you can't. You just use the word you. But in the Greek, um, when you look at the Greek here in, in Luke, you see that the you is actually plural. Uh, so Jesus isn't just calling out the one guy. Most likely, both brothers are there, right? And so he's basically saying, okay, who appointed me judge between all y'all? And in asking that question, Jesus is doing what he does best. He's getting to the heart of what these brothers are struggling with. See, if he took sides, he knew that that wasn't going to solve the problem, not the real problem. And as we will discover, the real problem was a heart issue of greed and covetousness and a misunderstanding of why they were even given resources and wealth in the first place uh, from the Lord of the universe, who in reality is the owner of it all. So, see, Jesus is saying, look, if we don't address the core issue, then it doesn't matter how you divide the money. It, it, it wouldn't matter if somebody uh, like Howard Hughes, who was a billionaire, if you gave him another million dollars. By his own admission, that wasn't enough. See, that, that wasn't going to satisfy him. He wanted at least one dollar more. So when you say, Jesus, tell my brother to give me part of the inheritance, Jesus is saying, why? What good is that going to do? Is that going to actually solve your problem? Because a covetous heart will always covet, no matter how much you give. Which brings us to what Jesus then does say. He then says, it uses this kind of as a teaching moment. He says, watch out, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. That's verse 15. Now, literally, I could stop there. Uh, we could... I could lead us in our final song. We could all go home. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. That's a sermon in and of itself. Not ambiguous. It's a great insight. It's very clear. That's a mic drop moment, right? But it would be good to ask ourselves, what is it about greed that Jesus is trying to warn us about? See, greed is a very insidious thing because greed is a hunger that really truly can never be satisfied. It's like the subtraction stew in one of my favorite children's books, The Phantom Tollbooth. Milo, the, the child hero of the story, is making his way through a kingdom where numbers are the most important thing. Uh, they mine numbers in, in these mines. They have miners that go down there and, and pull them out like precious jewels. And Milo is escorted to the mines uh, where he's watching all of these numbers being uh, taken out of the ground. And while he's there, uh, he says that he's hungry. And so they said, oh, okay, well, we, it, it's about time to eat anyway. And so they give him the stew, and it's called subtraction stew. And Milo has no idea, because this is a brand new land to him. He has no idea what he's getting into. So he, eat, he eats because he craves food. He eats the subtraction stew, but is immediately more hungry than what he was to begin with. And so he eats more because he craves more. And the more that he eats, the more that he craves. The property of subtraction creates in him this desire that leads to an excess where enough is never enough. 
you have to ask yourself, why is one of the big 10, the, the big 10 commandments, why is it that uh, thou shalt not covet is included in that? Have you ever wondered about why that is included? Coveting is a sin for a couple of reasons. First of all, coveting actually makes us harm ourselves. We will slave away and, and, and really not care much for the health of, of, of our life as we slave away just to be able to get stuff. The, the, the coolest new piece of technology, uh, staying up at the current state of the art to fill our lives, like George Carlin says, with stuff. And many people have worked themselves to death because of covetousness. But it's also sinful because it demonstrates how we're not content with what God has given to us. Uh, there are people who live beyond their means all the time. They, they use stupid credit. They live off of 117% of their income, which means that they live off of their income and then more. They borrow every year simply so that they can have more. Um, and and they're, they're, they're wanting more than what they can afford. They're sitting against themselves and they are sitting against God, telling him that they're not satisfied with what he had entrusted them with. They're discontent. And discontentment is the breeding grounds for greed. And our culture does nothing but just fan that deadly spark into flame until it consumes us. Do you know what the American dream used to be? The American dream used to be that if you, that you had the opportunity in our country to pursue whatever dream you had. No one was going to stop you from your pursuit of that happiness. That, that's all the American dream was, is that you had the freedom to be able to pursue happiness. But somewhere along the lines, the American dream was changed. It was perverted uh, to, to being now something that I deserve a certain outcome. I deserve to actually find happiness, not just to pursue it, but to find it. I deserve to live at a certain level, whether I worked for it or not. That's not what the American dream is, and that's not reality, nor is it even biblical. There was a, a comedian that I heard one time on, on one of the late-night talk shows and told a great story about being on a plane. And it was back in the day where kind of high-speed Internet was just kind of coming into its own, especially on planes. Uh, it was brand new technology. They said, hey, you, you can plug in your laptop uh, while on this flight and you can have high-speed internet. And it was amazing. The, the comedian said that he had his laptop out and he was watching some YouTube videos. But then, unfortunately, they had problems. And so they came onto the intercom and said, I'm sorry, uh, we don't have uh, internet right now. Um, sorry, we're having problems with it. And the comedian says that the guy beside him just was beside himself disgusted like man that's that's garbage that's garbage and the, the comedian commented like how quickly does this guy think that the world owes him something something that he knew existed only like 10 seconds ago not remembering that he's actually flying through the air and hundreds of, at hundreds of miles an hour in a steel tube the comedian said man Anytime we get into an airplane, we should be in awe of the miracles of technology and not just think that the world owes us high-speed internet. We should be in awe of the fact that we're just flying, right? Something that our ancestors never even thought possible. 
But that's exactly what discontentment will bring to you. It will bring, it will blind us to what life is supposed to be about. And it'll be about us and, and what we want. And then we're incensed when we don't get it. And we're offended because we're greedy. Our focus isn't on the comfort of the world, not on God's kingdom, not on other people's needs. So here's the danger, money or stuff. It desires to become king of our life. It desires to sit on the throne. And once it sits there on the throne, money, stuff, materialism, whatever you want to call it, is a taskmaster. It's going to demand nothing less than our full devotion. And we will work ourselves to death to appease its demands. In other words, money wants to be your God. And either you will serve it or you must master it and allow it to be used by you. And if you're a believer, then you're going to use it to serve God. This warning that Jesus tells the man who is hung up on uh, the, the, the inheritance thing, you know, your life does not consist of just what you have, stuff, right? It does not guarantee fulfillment and security and protection from death. That's the warning. The warning is, is that your life is not just about stuff. Stuff cannot define who you are. Jesus promised us in John 10, 10 to bring us abundant life. But we cannot misunderstand. Abundant life is not in the accumulation of stuff. And, and by the way, this is a radical idea that goes against everything that our world says. We measure happiness in our culture by what we have. That's, that's what commercials are all about. You're not happy? Go buy something. You'll feel better. You know what's scary, though? Actually, it kind of works for many people, right? Uh, they actually feel better when they go out shopping until they have to face the fact that they're still empty inside. No matter what they have just bought, no matter how much they have gone in debt and all of this new stuff that they now have, they still, you know, there's still this emptiness there, right? Even after their house is full of stuff that we will part with one day. And that's the context of the parable. So now we're getting into the parable. <laughs> Let's look real quick at uh, verses 16 through 20. It says, uh, And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, Well, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Now, what are some of the main points here? Well, first of all, what do we know about the man? First of all, we know that he was rich, right? Now, is there anything wrong with being rich? No, no, nothing wrong with being rich. Yeah, I know Jesus told the rich young ruler in another part of scripture to, to sell it all and to give to the poor so that he could follow Jesus. But you got to realize that he was the only one that 
is recorded that Jesus told that to. Something obviously was getting in the way of this guy's discipleship because he couldn't do it. He couldn't sell everything he had, give to the poor, and come follow Jesus. It, it had to do with where he was putting his trust. And he wasn't putting his trust in following Jesus, obviously. So, so that's the only person that, that Jesus said, sell everything, get rid of it all. But Jesus does say that riches can be cumbersome. Riches can create more obstacles than we, we would need in our discipleship. Uh, you know, Jesus would say that it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's because of the addiction, the addiction that stuff can produce in us, that subtraction stew. The, it, it doesn't matter how much I get, I'll always want more. That's why Jesus says you must be on guard. He doesn't say don't be rich. He just says be on guard, okay? Because it's not being about rich. The, the guy in the parable was already rich. That wasn't the problem. Jesus didn't have a problem with the guy being rich. And by the way, how do we know he was rich? Well, if you looked at verse 18, you'll see that he has barns. That's plural, barns, right? I'm not a rancher or a farmer myself, but I, I think that if you have more than one barn, that might indicate that you're kind of well off, okay? And barns means he probably has workers, so he's got a business. And he's not just providing for himself, but he's actually providing for other people as well. He's a productive part of the society. He's, he, he's rich. And what's more, we know that it's been a good season for him, right? These barns, comes to find out that they are filled to capacity. He's been successful this season. I mean, isn't that the purpose of farming or ranching, to fill up your barn so that you'll have what you need during the, the year until next season when you do it all again, um, right? So the second thing that we know about this guy, he is not just rich uh, and a good businessman, but he has been he has been blessed above and beyond he has been blessed now please understand this as well there should be no guilt when you experience a particularly abundant season god does that from time to time it's something that we should actually be very grateful for very thankful for the the problem was not that he was blessed the problem was that he had no idea why he was blessed. Yes, God gave him more than he needed, but he had no clue why. He says, in, in fact, he says right there, he says, I have more than I need, so what, what am I going to do? What a statement. What a statement. I have more than I need. I, I wish more people would come to that realization, especially in our culture, without making anyone feel guilty because none of us had the foresight to choose to be born where we were born or when we were born. But most of us, if we really took a good look at the resources that we have available to us in this amazing country, we have more than we need. We have extra. Now, you might say, I don't have any extra. Well, let me tell you this. Maybe because of the decisions that you've made in regard to the standard of living that you've chosen for yourself, especially if the standard of living that you've chosen for yourself is actually beyond your means, well, maybe you feel like you don't have extra because now you have a lot of bills. You got a lot of monthly payments and it, and it makes it hard to be then generous as you would want to be. 
a lot of people they don't see the extra because they've they, they've put themselves in a sort of a prison because of the lifestyle that they choose the the, the standard of living that they've chosen that they're in prison because of the things that they decided to buy the the size of home that they bought uh, the the type of vehicle that they thought would be cool to drive and things are tight not because they don't have resources but because of how they chose to use the resources, right? And if they would just let certain things go in order to free up some cash flow, they would probably get a better picture of actually how much they do have and how they are truly blessed to be living where and when they are. Now, there's another sin beyond greed that has entered into the scenario now with this rich man. The third thing that we know uh, about him is he is a a guy who worries. He's got some anxiety. How do we know? Well, look, as as the man sees the extra that he was blessed with, the the bonus in his paycheck, so to speak, he begins to project a what-if scenario. Wow, yeah, no, I, I got lucky this year, but what if next year? I don't get this amount. Man, it's a great year, but what if it doesn't last? How am I going to protect myself? So I know, I know, I'm going to tear down these barns, again, plural, and I'm going to build bigger barns, again, plural. And then I don't have to worry about things. But dude, you're worrying right now, right? You've you've reaped an amazing blessing. And now you become immediately afraid that you will never have a harvest like this again. Isn't that interesting? How quickly that hunger developed and brought on this anxiety, an anxiety that really will never be satisfied. And now he's operating in panic mode. He's got more than he needs and he's panicking. What do I do? What do I do? He's got a vision problem, an I problem, in fact. He's so focused on I, himself, what he has, what he doesn't have, what he might not have in the future, that he totally misses something right in front of his face. It is so blatantly obvious. And as a result, he does not get into the Uber that God has sent to his house and is now waiting in his driveway with the engine running. He walks right past it. Church, when God gives us more than what is needed, he is giving us an opportunity to live out the compassion and the practical love that living in his kingdom requires. He is giving us an opportunity to be his agents of love on earth. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with that we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction. Church, the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of this rich farmer in Luke chapter 12, the the pursuit that is born of greed, if that's the motivator for your life today, if that's what you're caught up in, then you will find yourself in this crazy cycle where you need just a little bit more money, a little bit more prestige, a little bit more recognition, and you've walked into a trap. And it's a snare that will pierce you through with many sorrows, according to Scripture. 
You'll find yourself in that endless cycle of pursuing more and more and more, thinking, ah, just a little bit more, and now I'll be able to settle down. A little bit more, and then I'll be able to retire. A little bit more, and I'll be able to enjoy. And it never happens because that plan doesn't work. It's just a lure to get you to walk into the trap. See, it never happened for the guy in the parable either, did it? Yeah, he had his plans, but God had different plans. Verse 20, this night, this very night, your life will be demanded of you. Surprise! So here's a thought. Wouldn't it be wiser to discover and follow God's plan before that surprise hits you? So what is God's plan for the extra in our life? Well, that's the point of the parable. This is the remedy that cures us of greed. Because remember how the man said, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus is saying, no, 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 eat, drink, and be wary. Be on your guard. So how can you guard against it? You guard against it when you can understand, when you have the wisdom to understand why you were given extra. Why God gives the way he gives. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians is chock full of the idea of how we are partners with God, his fellow workers. Uh, The idea that's seen throughout the letter is that God actually gives things to his people, resources, grace, the gospel, so that we would be his partners and so that we would actually administer that which he gives to us for the sake of other people. So for instance, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are told that he is committed to us, those of us who believe and have been reconciled back to him. He is committed to us the message of reconciliation. We've been reconciled. Now he wants us to preach that message of reconciliation to other people. And there he says, we are his ambassadors as through God we're making his appeal through us. Pretty amazing. In chapter one of Second Corinthians, Paul says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those, any of those in trouble and with the comfort we ourselves have received. So again, here, we've got the responsibility to pass along the gospel of reconciliation. We have the responsibility to pass along God's comfort. And according to chapter 8, we, are, we have the responsibility to pass along some of the resources, the material stuff and the finances as well. Paul is encouraging generosity between congregations in chapter 8. And he says, our desire is not that others may be relieved while you your congregation is hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty is going to supply what they need, so that in turn, one day, their plenty will supply what you need, and then there will be equality. As it is written, he that gathered much, like the rich fool, did not have too much, and he that gathered little did not have too little. And then in chapter 9, uh, we we read this. This is pretty amazing from uh, verses 6 and following. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. 
Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Do you see how God works? It doesn't matter if you're talking about the gospel or comfort or finances. God gives so that we can share with other people. The way to fight against discontentment and greed of all kinds, the way to be able to eat, drink, and be wary is to understand that we are now his agents of redemption. People who have experienced the redeeming love of the good news of Jesus, people who now stand confident in being forgiven, who operate under the control of the Holy Spirit, who have experienced firsthand what it means to be transformed, taken from a life of bondage of sin to a a place of freedom in righteousness. These are the people that God uses to spread the message of equality and redemption. Because we have a life-transforming relationship with Jesus, we are called then to be agents of redemption for other people. An agent of redemption has a personal calling to engage with people in their circle of influence, to model what it means to be redeemed. An agent of redemption looks for ways that God can turn what was meant for harm into good. An agent of redemption knows that the gospel that they received themselves must then pass through them and be given to other people. Freely you have been given, uh, now freely give. An agent of redemption is on a mission to pray and to work and to hope for God's kingdom to come in this life. An agent of redemption sees this life as temporary. This place is not his permanent home, living in view of eternity and in the life to come. That's what an agent of redemption does. And while it's true that it's really only Jesus that does the actual work of redemption, as his agents of redemption, we are to serve as his hands and feet in this world where we will then practically demonstrate a power that is much more potent than greed or discontentment can ever be. To to declare that the power in you is greater than that of greed and discontent, well, we must be willing then to show that greed has no part in, in, in in our being, in our hearts, in our lives. And so we are called to practice willing generosity, because God loves a cheerful giver. Each man should give what he has decided to give, uh, not under compulsion, not reluctantly. If it's forced, well, that's no proof that your heart has been freed from greed. But if you give willingly, if this generosity just bubbles up out of who you are, you're able to see that it does not have a hold on you. And that's why Paul would tell the Corinthians that he's not commanding them to give. He's just giving them an opportunity so that they can show the world that their spirits are responding to the leading of God's spirit. There is wisdom to help us get out from under the burden of debt and of greed and of discontentment. There is wisdom in using resources optimally, leveraging our resources and finances, not just to take care of our own earthly needs, which we should be doing, uh, 
but also investing in an eternal kingdom. See, that's why this parable is included in the Gospels, because it teaches us that in order for us to find that wisdom, we must begin to look at it from God's perspective. So know that you do have extra, folks. You do have extra, especially if you have endeavored to live by the principles found in Scripture in regards to how you use your money, how you save your money, staying out of debt and all that kind of stuff. And then know that God's got a plan. And when he blesses you and gives you extra, he calls you then into a very special agency, a very special partnership, because he will put people who don't have in your pathway, in your circle of influence. And and he says, now, what are you going to do with that extra? It's not yours to keep. Why don't you be an agent of redemption? It's more blessed to give, he says, than it is to receive. And as uh, a pastor, that is always something that I pray that people will find out for themselves. All right, well, that's what we have to offer today from the parable of the rich fool. It's actually, uh, I, that's kind of a negative name, and I wish that we could come up with a, a better name than just the rich fool. But um, let me encourage you to eat and drink and be wary against all sorts of greed. And so trust God. Let his spirit guide you and uh, look around for ways that you can use your extra to alleviate the suffering of other people. All right. Well, God bless you. I want to thank those people like Lisa Welly, my executive producer, um, Steve Pittman, who takes care of all of our technical stuff here at the church. And I want to thank you again uh, for tuning it in. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to have you drop in and tell us that you're a listener uh, to the podcast. That would be a blessing to us to know how much of a blessing we are to you. God bless. We'll see you next week.